0: Sego. If you like what we're doing here, if you support the show and you want to give support to the show, you can do so by going to patreon.com letstalknative. And if you do so, we'll provide you some exclusive content and some things that uh, others aren't going to get when you get it. So support us by going to Patreon. Yahweh. Let's Talk Native is produced at the LTN Studios on the Cattaraugus territory of the Seneca Nation we break all the rules for native media by peeling back the layers of assimilation and indoctrination. We may step on a few toes through our examination of culture, art, politics, history, and identity. But the real goal here is to bring our people together by breaking down what separates us. So, welcome to Let's Talk Native with John Kane. Welcome to Let's Talk Native. I'm John Kane. I'm your host. And I got to ask the question, are our territories still the bastions of culture and history that we wish them to be? And I ask the question because we know that, look, we, we've seen announcements, you know, from places like the, the Choctaw of Oklahoma that declare that their nation is a Christian nation. And there's been so much imposed um, culture and systems, government systems, you know, everything from the Indian Reorganization Act to you know to even the ones who are non-IRA governments that are elected councils and that kind of. There's so much that's different now than than, than what our history suggests, uh, you know, has been. So I, I guess I asked the question. Are our territories now uh, contributing to assimilation? And and I think clearly they they are. The question is, how do we push back a little bit without seeming to, you know, necessarily to be always the contrarian in every one of our communities? I mean, we know that there are people in our communities that still we, we give them names like wisdom keepers and elders and and they have a lot of information um, associated you know cultural information uh, they may have a unique insight to to history because of their age and that kind of stuff but you know as we look though even the most the the, the most senior of our people in our territories their childhood or childhoods uh, were they experienced their childhood during they're, they're in the midst of um a very tumultuous times there's nobody alive today that we can go to to ask how it was before colonization for instance and even though our territories are, are somewhat remote and they've been isolated from some of the effects of the outside uh, we they were never completely isolated i mean so when I, when i hear stories about how native territories didn't experience the depression the same way that non-native territories did because we didn't bank and we didn't have so many uh, some of the uh, the infrastructure that was tied to their economies. We certainly know that we are already being inundated with things like churches, you know, like um, you know military um, actions on our territories, uh, you know, enlistment. But even when I think about uh, the residential schools. We look at the residential schools today as this thing that was imposed upon us and that our children were taken away, but there was a certain amount of complicity on the side of the native governments and what was happening socially on our territories. The churches were were certainly part of it. Look, the Thomas Indian School here in the Cattaraugus Territory of the Seneca Nation didn't exist in a vacuum. The Code of Handsome Lake was, was probably... You you know, really asserting it, being asserted in the territory. So the longhouses were, were a factor with their newfound religion. The churches were being built in every one of the regions of Cattaraugus. The Seneca Nation had, uh, had thrown out the the so called chief system, which I would really sh- suggest should have been the clan system, and and adopted a written constitution albeit kind of slim, um, adopted a written constitution, elected their, their counselors and their president. And yet the Thomas Indian School was developed during this era, during, during this this period of time and would exist for a significant period of time. We have plenty of people we can go to within a community who were familiar with the residential school era. Not a whole lot of people that we can talk to who who predate some of that. So when we, while we can learn about relatively recent history from some of our elders, I'm not sure that we can get a solid grasp um, of what it was like for this community to operate as, as a longhouse community, for instance. So when we talk about things like Guyana Ragoa, how many places can we say, well, this is where it still exists and a community operates that way from a Haudenosaunee standpoint, or, and frankly, many of the, the native territories, there, there aren't a whole lot that operate as traditional governments or, or govern themselves through a, through a traditional process. I'm not saying none exist, but there's not a whole lot of them. So um, even as I, when am as I'm talking about, um, native identity. And, and I talk about having a connection to your people and to your culture and, 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 you know, language and all that stuff. And, and oftentimes if I'm talking about the difference between someone who lives on territory and off territory, I don't think we can make that clear distinction that just because you live on territory that you have a great connection culturally. You may have a great connection with, with people, your, your people and, and your, your, your territory, the land. So, I mean, I, it, we get down to the question, if you leave your territory, are you leaving because you're trying to abandon that? Or because there, you know, and I've talked about the fact that there seems to be very little hope or, pros- or prospect for the future. There, there's no careers to be found in, in many native territories. So if you leave your territory and you go to the city, does are you, are you really losing that cultural connection? I'm not so sure that that's true. I mean, And, and, I'm, and I'm not encouraging people to leave our territories, I mean, so I don't want it to, to be interpreted that way. But I've had it explained to me that that sometimes leaving was the only way to avoid the pressures of assimilation that come from within our own territories, the churches, you know, the, the, the law enforcement. I mean, look at the, the battles that we have who is, has, who has criminal jurisdiction on our territories? There's almost no place. And I say almost because there are a few, but there's almost no place where we don't allow the states, not just the federal government, but the states to assert their criminal jurisdiction on our territories. So, I mean, certainly sovereignty and, and the distinction of our, uh, you know, of, of our being, our autonomy isn't demonstrated there. I mean, I, I just saw, saw something posted just the other day from the Seneca Nation Media Department that, you know, a clear statement that just because New York State just legalized marijuana doesn't mean that it's legal here. Really? So why was it illegal in the first place? Because of the state? So there's, there ends up being these strange, you know, um, relationships with, you know, what are we considered, you know, legal or illegal, you know, and who enforces that law? You know, the Seneca Nation has a, you know, has certain laws on their books, laws. Well, who is the law enforcement agency? The, the marshals? They can't rely on the outside to enforce the Seneca law if the Seneca law is different than the outside law. In fact, they're, you know, the, the state police can't enforce anything or the, the county police can't enforce anything other than state law. So. It, it, it we live in a peculiar time and place because of what exists today on our territories as far as autonomy and distinction from the outside it's 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 a real fuzzy line and when I when I again to to talk not only just to pick on the Choctaw talk talk necessarily but there are many native territories where church is a predominant part of their uh, you know, of their culture. Look, even my friends in Hawaii who are fighting, you know, to assert the Hawaiian kingdom, many of them are, are have been very Christianized, not all, but many. And that becomes a challenge. Even as we're trying to draw a line in the stand about, about pushing back on the state of the federal government, because the idea of patriotism towards the United States is sometimes deeply connected to, you know, the, the religious beliefs, the education systems that have been, you know, brought into our territories. I mean, or the fact that our kids have been brought off our territories to be educated. Look, if your kids are brought up in public school, unless you're there to push back on some of the narratives they're being, they're being taught, even as it relates to native history, which is very little of its thought, but even when we have a, a native program in our schools there's there's parts of that that get that, that, that get twisted up. You know so you know what when when we teach about native spirituality what are we, what are we really teaching? Are we talking we teaching a narrow view that is held by a few or are we really talking about culture and are we really talking about history and if we're going to talk about history, how do we how do we explain how we went from a place where there was no churches on our territories where our 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 system of governance was had no hierarchy, there was no elections, there was none of that stuff. it was done through the clans. And how did we get from there and It's not enough to just say one day they had a referendum and they did away with the, the chief system There's something that broke down before that, but we don't teach that history so where do you learn this history? Well, you know look in place like here the Sanica Nation, they have a cultural center. So you can go down there and probably learn a lot of history and maybe get some answers to some questions, but that's that's a really limited institution and that institution is almost like a well it's it's, it's like a mu- museum you know so it's it's a it's almost touristy in many in many ways and I'm not condemning it. So how do we take? Even some of the information that they have there in their archives and in their in their in their um, uh, in their cultural center and bring it to our kids on a regular basis. So they do know what happened during the removal period as it related to Seneca Nation or any of our other nations. So we do understand the relationship that existed between the Senecas and the Americans and the British and, and all of that stuff. The, the, the relationship between the Senecas and the Mohawks, the, the Eastern and the Western doors of the Haudenosaunee. There's a lot of that that's not understood. And and again, when I, when I talk about the, the activist community that exists in Native territory, sometimes it's hard to be an activist if you live within a community because you might be, you you might be condemned by by the church folks in in a, in a given area, or some people who have a different view of what traditionalism is or culture is. I mean, as you know, I, look, I'm I'm Mohawk. I live on Seneca territory, and I know there's there's certain animosity that some people on this community have towards the towards the warrior flag. As I tilt my head and point to my 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 cap, and obviously I, I embrace the idea of, uh, I, I embrace that as a responsibility, not as, you know, the warriors or, or, or some ruthless gang that's been outlawed by the Confederacy, which isn't even true, but, but that's the way it's, I mean, I, I have a friend of mine who was the director of the American Indian community house in New York city, you know, and really looking out, you know, in New York city's, probably got one of the largest urban um, populations uh, or native populations in, in, in any city in the United States. There, there's probably, at any given time, there's probably at least 100,000 native people who live in New York City. That's more people than live here in Seneca territory, mind you, significantly more. So the, that's, that's, now that 100,000 people are all different native people, indigenous people from, you know, from different places. So, but there's only one in the center and, and that's the American Indian community house. She got let go. She got fired essentially because she posted something declaring victory in a lawsuit about, um, about a prison, uh, a, a fight over pr- a prison in, in Manhattan. I think it was, and she posted the warrior flag and she, and this was, you know, a, a bunch of the women that were fighting this and she posted this as, as a warrior women. Some of the people who, who are, have an animosity towards native uh, or towards the quote unquote warrior society um, did everything in their power and they got her fired. So these are the tensions that come back from our native territory. There was nobody in New York City, you know, who a, native, a displaced native person who was gonna condemn that, but it comes from Onondaga. It might come from, you know, from someplace else that's gonna condemn this thing. So uh, again, I go back and I ask the question, is there are there pressures that come from our territory to conform not culturally, but to be, uh, but conform to an agenda that has been very modernized, that has been very assimilated. You know, it's it, we have conversations about the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, and some people want to really praise that, and while I cite it fairly often, I also am very clear that it that it's it's far from a panacea for native uh, for native issues. And in fact, most people don't take the time to actually read the thing. And, and it says very clearly in one of the articles that it, that it is the minimum standard. It doesn't satisfy the concerns, all of the concerns that native people have in terms of how the nation states around us um, interact with us. In fact, there's a big battle going on in Canada today because the Canada is trying to adopt a Canadian, declaration of, on the rights of indigenous peoples which is a water which is very much a watered down version of what the united nations one is it it talks about consultation as opposed to uh, opposed to uh, free prior and informed consent on on a host of issues that impact native people so we we have these debates that that sometimes are are being led by leadership from native territories Even as some of us oppose it and it's sometimes hard to find the like-minded people within a, uh, within a specific community. So when I see some native people go to, um, a a city environment, they may see, they may be able to, uh, to pursue a role in activism and like-minded people in that urban environment, better than they could back from back home, because their own families have already been indoctrinated, you know, with religion and with American patriotism. I mean, look, this t- ties into into much of the debate about Native people running for their for offices in the state at the state level or the federal level. And look, I know that if if you were to poll Native people. You would get a lot of positive responses from native people, whether it was in an urban environment or whether it's on native territory. About somebody like Deb Halen getting getting appointed to the uh, to be the Interior Secretary. You won't. You you will get some pushback from folks like me who will say, "Well, she works for them now." But see, this is all part of that whole this whole idea of where we sit. With relationship to our, to the history and that history is not pretty folks, but we don't teach it. We don't teach it as, as community members. It's certainly not being taught in in the public schools that are outside our territories. So when do we, when do we finally come to grips with what, what took place, what did happen, the truth of residential schools, the truth of land loss. The truth of, of of language loss. Look, I, I hear people praise, oh, the Navajo code talkers, the native code talkers. And it wasn't just Navajo. It was Mohawk. It was Choctaw. It was a, it was a bunch of different languages. And we praise those individuals when in the realities, those individuals were being used for a language that the United States was trying to destroy. Kill the Indian, save the man. That was the policy at these residential schools among the things that they were trying to kill about native people was our language until they figured they could use it. They could weaponize it. And so we praise those many of those people who are, who are very old now because it was world war II. There's only a few code talkers left. And, but we don't tell the truth. We don't tell the real story behind what was happening to our language and how it came to be. And how it became to be used militarily. Oh, look, I, I see our people say, well, we, you know, our native code talkers won the war. Well, no, they didn't. But see, that's the way we're taught. And, and we're, we're taught that so we can be proud of them. Not necessarily proud of the language. Because in this situation, our language was, was being exploited by <laughs> what would, what has now become the US military industrial complex and so it it isn't it wasn't this this great triumph of native culture because nobody there was no big effort to uh, to sink a bunch of money and resources into and, uh, and and reparations back to native people for having that language stripped away for for decades Almost, almost a full century of destroying our language. See, that's where I got to ask the question. Because in this moment, in our territories, is there a greater pressure to assimilate? I, I mean, generally. Assimilate Native people to the American system? I mean, look. For the most part, if you look at how governance works on Native Territory, you know, and this is on the U.S. and the Canadian side, this idea of municipalizing Native government. So, so these are like governments. I mean, I heard some hired um, uh, <laughs> consultant by the Seneca Nation describe the Seneca Nation as part of the system of federalism, as if the Seneca Nation government some fit in there somewhere between. Township governments of townships and counties and state. It it was somewhere in between there. Like there was this governing system that the Seneca nation government fit within the system of federal, state, local government. Rather than something separate and different and distinct and autonomous. And that's problematic. Because if the Seneca nation or any other native government is just a municipal government. So our territories are just these little municipalities within a state. Then how did that happen? So it doesn't just become a bit of a a cultural question. It goes back to being a, a bit of a historical question. So again, let me remind people, there's no question that our connection to people and place is important. And I'm not, by by any means suggesting that there's not value to our native territories there there's a tremendous amount of value and i'm not suggesting there's not a tremendous value to our language there's a tremendous amount of value because that combination of place and language if those things are looked at more thoroughly we find that there's a lot of history you know my friend uh, ed schindler used to He asked the question, what were they thinking? He he used to teach a class. And so his question was, what were our ancestors thinking? The, the only insight we have to those people who are no longer with us to talk to is the language, because it was our ancestors that developed the language. Our language didn't come from the creator. Sorry. If that's your belief system, I challenge that our language was developed by our people the people who came before us. And if we understand the etymology of our words, we know what they were thinking. So when we talk about things like, like rain and we say it and and we understand that yogunuru, which means we know it's precious. We know how our people viewed the rain. We know by, uh, by the words that they use and breaking down those words, we knew what they were thinking when they, when they, when they described a the concept, our, our languages are not necessarily noun based. They're they're they are descriptive, so they they describe an action or or some other m- metaphoric description. So we understand by their use of metaphor, by their use of the of, of their description of of an object, I guess, how they viewed that object, whether they viewed it positively or negatively. Whether they viewed it as, you know, how they they viewed that this, these things, these labels that they created on how we interacted with them. So we know what they were thinking, but we don't, if we don't teach it in that way, and if we don't delve into, into the real history and look, we don't have, I'm not talking about seven generations ago, which would be great if we could grab onto some of that. But if we're only talking about a hundred years ago or 150 years ago, that's not a long time. I'm looking, we, as a people, we have existed for thousands of years, thousands of years with a continuity to our, to our language and to our culture, to where we lived. But it's only been in the last 150 years that, 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 that has been disrupted. And if we we're going to ignore everything before that or everything even that's transpired in the last 150 years and we're going to speak romantically about what we were but not how we transitioned to who we are then we can't connect ourselves today to to our ancestors. We've broken that chain. And and part of that chain was broken most significantly, because of because of colonization, because of residential schools, because of war, because of you know, of, of poverty. But we have to revisit that. You know, I've I mentioned I've been watching this the series on HBO called uh, "Exterminate All the Brutes." It's 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 fascinating. But I'll, but I'll tell you, when you watch this thing, it has to stir up emotions because much of the stuff that they're talking about and the comparisons they're making to what, what has existed throughout the world and throughout time, there was, there was nothing so unique about what, what the Jews experienced at the hands of the Nazis. I'm, I'm not saying that it wasn't horrendous, but, but it matches up what, 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 transpired with, with native people, with, with other immigrant populations, with other ethnic cleansing events that have taken place throughout the world. And so why do they repeat themselves? Because we don't learn from them. We bury it. Just like the mass graves, we bury it. So, look, when I asked the question originally, you know, are are our territories the bastions of culture and history? No, they probably aren't. But they could be, and they should be. But we, we have to be, we have to make a concerted effort to connect the dots, to connect ourselves from where we are today to before colonization and, and tell that story about how we go from there to here, from then to now. Because in order for our culture to, uh, to continue, and I don't mean just some semblance, some, some hints of our culture. But for, but for us to have, to maintain any cultural integrity and distinction, we have to know the history and, and we have to be proud of the fact that in spite of all the adversity that we've been able to maintain pieces of it. Look, we have, did we lose some along the way? Yeah, absolutely. We lost people. We lost stories. We lost songs. We lost all kinds of things along the way. But we've also seen some of those songs come back, almost from the dead, right? We we've heard oh I know I that song sounds familiar I think I heard that song before someplace. So we look at each one of our native territories from from uh, you know Oswego to Gualague to 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 you know and even as we we interact with with some of our uh, our other relatives the you know. Um, that are not necessarily recognized as Haudenosaunee. We find that we, we did, we had some cultural exchanges. So some of those songs come back. One of the things, and and I, I lament this tremendously. One of the things that was eliminated so significantly um, during the residential period, residential school period was the, this idea of a, of a, whether we want to break it down to a specific ceremony, but this whole idea of a rite of passage, how our children went from being children to adults, that was stripped away. And not every child went to residential schools, but the whole idea of this imposition of the outside education and what our kids were being educated to and for and and, and to become what they were to become with that education changes everything. There's, there is an effort now to bring some of that back. But whether we bring back a specific ceremony or just the notion that how do we prepare our kids culturally, both our, our, our boys and our, and our girls, to become men and women? Yeah, and of course that there is a connection to to what we prepare them for and what we do for a livelihood. So I know as I as I address. <laughs> Native people who no longer live on territory. And I know the struggle that must exist for them to maintain cultural connections. Human connections are easier to do, but cultural connections are tough because so much of the culture has lost has, has been lost in our territories. And so much of the advocacy and the activism is tough. I mean, look, American Indian movement, was born out of uh, out of native people in the cities. Uh, you know, some of the warrior society issues may have been born on territory. But I think there has to be a connection. So I asked the question, not because I'm really looking for the answer to the question, but really an answer to the problem that exists because we don't necessarily have the strong will to teach Culture and history in our territories, not in a broad based way. And we can't expect it to be done in public schools. So that's my topic for today. I thank you for indulging me. And again, let's have the conversation. I'm John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. Yahweh.